Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Hallelujah. Go with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Happy Father's Day. Amen. To all of our dads and all of the men of God. Hallelujah. You might be a, a father uh, by default, but you are a man of God by choice. And so I'm thankful not just for the dads and the fathers, but I'm thankful for the men of God. And I, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, going to give you words or ch- uh, challenge uh, out of fear, but There is an attack on men today. There's an attack on manhood. It's an attack on manliness. I was watching, it was ESPN the other day. They were talking about the the top five, uh, I think it was in basketball, the top five toughest athletes in basketball. The top five toughest, tough. And they couldn't name one after I think it was Kobe Bryant was the last one they could name. And he retired. He's passed on now. He, he retired in, I don't know, 2015, 16. They couldn't name a tough basketball player since Kobe Bryant. And you watch a couple games and you'll find out why. Those guys flop for everything. They, they fall down for everything. They skip games for everything. I mean, there's just, it, it's, a, it's a different game today than the basketball I used to watch in the 90s. Michael Jordan in the flu game, right? People elbowing, bloody noses, you know, throwing guys on the ground. Dennis Rodman was one of the toughest ones that comes to mind when I think of tough basketball. They don't make them like that anymore. And it just got me to thinking that that toughness is on trial right now. What it means to be tough. Now, I'm not talking about being abrasive and harsh and, and rude, but I am talking about a stiff spine that doesn't just, just take whatever comes. A, 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 a man that will stand up. Um, and in, day, in days like today, I mean, there's a plethora of things to stand up for. Just pick one. There, there's plenty of options out there for you to stand up and be a man about something. And so I'm thankful for men of God like what we have in our church. And I'm telling you right now, as men, you're not going to get anywhere in life if you don't have a direct connection to your Heavenly Father. That's just the bottom line. Who you become as a man and how you lead your home, how you lead your community, your business, whatever God has placed you over, you you are at a great deficit if you do not have a direct connection to your Heavenly Father. If you don't know how to connect with your Heavenly Father. I know a lot of times, you know, as men, we're kind of up against it because, you know, we, we didn't always have the greatest examples. Um, even if you had a great dad, an awesome dad, an amazing dad, uh, one that you're grateful and thankful for, there's still limitations to that. There's still mishaps and mistakes and missteps along the way. And, and, and so, you know, looking to a natural example is not going to do it for us. We've got to have a, a, a picture and image and perspective of who God is as our Father. His care, His protection, His provision, but also His correction, His instruction, Right? His rebukes, his aligning and realigning and tweaking, we need all that in our life. And um, so, again, I'm just thankful for you. I'm thankful for the men of God in this church. And let's just choose to rise up in these last days. Let's just choose to be what God has called us to be. Amen. We uh, began uh, a series last week. Um, I've just called it Distinct. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not super creative when it comes to series and series titles and those kind of things. But ultimately, we're talking about being distinct in the kingdom of God. We're talking about being set apart. We're talking about living according to a different standard, a different way of life, a different uh, uh, rule book, if you will, that we are called to abide by. And this need, this necessity, this responsibility even to stand out, be set apart and be different 
And I've got to go a step further, not just from the world. We know that we're supposed to be set apart from the world, but I believe even within church circles and church communities, there is still yet a group. There's still yet a, 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 a distinction within that, that we're not going to accept religion. We're not going to accept performance. We're not going to accept formality. We're not going to accept uh, uh, just comfort and convenience, um, complacency, all these things that are attacking and coming against the church today. I believe that we are going to have a remnant within these circles. There's going to be a group within that's going to be called out and set apart and be on fire for God. And so we began looking at this last week, uh, this idea of distinction, this idea of being set apart, this idea of standing out. And uh, in these times and in these days, it ought not be the uh, attempt or the focus of the church to blend in and become tolerant and accepting of things that God is not tolerant and accepting of. And so we're going to look at ways that we can be distinct over these next several weeks. I kind of laid out the path last week and talked about being distinct, talked about being set apart. But uh, in these coming weeks, we're going to break down and we're going to find out how can the church, how can we literally be distinct, set apart in the days that God has for us. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, says this. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say? That's a question. Did God really say? This is what I know about the devil. This is what I know about the enemy. He gives his hand away very quickly. He shows his hand very quick. It says that he was cunning, that he's uh, uh, tricky, that, that he is wanting to deceive. He, he's trying to upend and manipulate and distort and pervert. And he's after one thing, God's word. And this is what I know about the enemy. Anything that he uh, opposes is an indication to me what is important. Anything that the devil opposes ought to be an indicator to us of what's important. I don't think, you know, I know that the enemy knows. You know, sometimes I think we need to learn what the enemy knows. He knows his time is short. He knows that he's on the clock. He knows that he's not going to get away with this forever. And so he doesn't have time to waste on things that don't matter. He doesn't have time to oppose you and obstruct you and confront you and challenge you on things that are menial or aren't really important. But what he does come against, that ought to be an indication in my life of what is important, what I should be valuing, what I should be holding to. And the very first thing he comes against when he shows up, this is at the very beginning of the book. The very first thing he comes against is, did God really say? He comes to oppose the most reliable thing in the planet, God's word. He's coming directly against the most important, most valuable, most reliable, most faithful, most dependable thing that you and I have. It's God's word. Right from right from the word go, right from Genesis chapter 3, we're three chapters in to this thing, and we see immediately what he's after, what he wants to challenge, what he wants to obstruct in your life. And, and, And this is what I know. When the enemy asks questions, it's always to distort truth. When the enemy asks questions, it's always to distort truth. You can go from the book of Genesis all the way to the very end. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He's called a deceiver. He's called a liar. He's called a manipulator. He's called all this. And every time he asks questions, he's not trying to learn information. 
He's trying to get you, he's inviting you into a life of questioning, a life of challenging. This is what I know, is these questions become the breeding ground for unbelief. These questions become the breeding, the breeding ground for unbelief. The way the enemy works, the way that he challenges is he gets you to question by bringing up an alternative. The enemy wants you to live with options. The enemy wants you to live thinking there might be another way to this. Did God really say? Did God really say? And when he brings these challenges and when he brings these questions, I should be perking up on the inside not to engage and invite the conversation. He said, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And verse 2 is where all humanity messed up. The woman said to the serpent. The woman said to the serpent. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, there's a buzzword that, that's very trendy and it's very, um, um, you know, engaging and very accepting that's happening in our world today. There, there is uh, this statement of we're inviting you into the conversation. And I do believe over some topics and some things that, yes, we need to have conversation. We need to be able to have an understanding of the other side and an understanding of the other party and what their viewpoint is and what their perspective is, that we shouldn't be so closed-minded that we think our way is the only way. But I do believe if we're not careful with this, we'll have conversations and debates where there ought not to be. That there are some things that are just set in stone and there's no conversation needed. I don't need to have a conversation with the devil to determine, well, tell me what you're thinking, Mr. Devil. Show me your way and then I'll weigh the two. Because all the enemy has to do is plant the seed in your mind that there is another way, that there is another possibility, that there is another option. And we need a people today that are going to stand on the word of God for what it is. The number one way that you can be distinct is being one that stands on the word of God. I tell you what, we're coming into days where those that stand on the word, those that know the word, those that speak the word, declare the word, confess the word, those that are living up to the word to that degree, you're going to find yourself set apart even from your own Christian brothers and sisters, your own Christian communities, even your own families. We're walking in days where just merely standing up for basic biblical moral principles will automatically set you apart. Automatically bring a distinction in your life. And so we're going to look at this today. Unbelief is the, is the breeding ground for deception. If questions are the breeding ground for unbelief, then unbelief becomes the breeding ground for deception. All deception starts with a question. All deception starts with a challenge, and a challenge on a small level. The devil knows you won't take the whole tree, but he knows that you may take a bite out of the fruit. The devil knows that he can't get you to blatantly, you've done this too long, you've, you've come too far, you've seen too much, you, you, you've been doing this for too long. But the devil knows he can't just get you to blatantly disrupt your life and disrupt your pattern and walk away from God. But he knows I can plant seeds little by little here and there. And if I can just get them to question on the smallest level, if I can get them to challenge on the smallest level, if I can get them to distort on the smallest level, he always asks questions to distort the truth. So she engages this conversation. We may eat the fruit from the trees 
in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Interesting note about that is God never said anything about touching it. If you're going to engage in a conversation with the devil, please know the word and don't just give him your version of it. And right there, she showed her hand. She showed that she didn't really know what God's word says. And the devil said, gotcha. I got you now. I'm talking to someone, I know the word better than you. And there are believers, Christians in the world today, the devil knows the word better than they do. I'll show you another instance right here uh, in just a minute where the, the devil had the audacity to quote scripture at somebody. Oh, he knows the word. He sure does. And so he knows when you miss it. He knows when you don't know it. He knows when it's not down in your heart that I might not sin against you. He knows when we're just spitting it out because that's what we've heard. He knows when we're just repeating what we heard other people say. He knows when we're just saying it out of our head but not out of our heart. He knows this. And so he continues the conversation in verse 4. No. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I, I, I won't go on, but immediately God shows up and he asks a question too. God's not afraid of questions. God's too secure to be afraid of questions. He's not afraid of the questions. He's not afraid of the challenging. He's not afraid of the confrontation. But when God asks questions... He asked questions to reveal truth. What did he ask? Adam, where are you? Now, do you think God's caught up in some kind of weird game of hide and go seek? You think that he lost Adam for a second? You think that he's all of a sudden lost track? Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Adam, wh where, where'd you go, Adam? No, God never asked questions to learn something. You know, there's nothing God can learn. You know, God never goes, wow, I've never seen that before. I didn't know. God never says, I didn't know that. God can't learn anything. He's not asking Adam, where are you, so he can know. He's asking Adam, so Adam can know. So the enemy asks questions to distort truth. God asks questions to reveal truth. He's trying to get something across to you. He's trying to show you something. He's trying to open your eyes. He's trying to reveal something to you. He's trying to, to make his word come alive to you. He's trying to let us know that it's not good enough to just go through life without processing and knowing what his word says. Adam, where are you? And so these questions are all centered around the Word of God. He, the enemy knows, if I can get you to question it, question the Word, then I can get you to obstruct the Word. If I can just get you to embrace an alternative, you know what? You won't die. That's just an option. That's just an alternative. The tricky part was she thought, if I touch the fruit, I'll die. So she touches the fruit and she's still alive. So go to the next step. If I can touch the fruit and not die, then I can eat the fruit and not die. You just keep on going down the line. Why? Because she didn't know the word. She didn't know what the word said. 
in Luke chapter 4, we kind of see the, the, the opposite response of this. The enemy. Now we've gone through the entire Old Testament with individuals fallen and separated from God due to one man's sin. All have sinned. Constantly trying to strive and constantly trying to press and constantly trying to become good enough to be accepted and received by God. Old Testament measures, Old Testament manners, Old Testament methods, none of it's working. In fact, we're, we're further away from God at the end of the Old Testament than we were in the beginning. God actually closes his mouth, doesn't say a word for over 400 years. I mean, that, that, that's pretty bad. You're so bad that God won't even respond. God won't even say nothing. You're crying out to him. He's not even responding. He's not showing you nothing. There's no prophet. There's no word of the Lord. That There's no priest you can go to. It's just nothing. That's how bad it is at the end of the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament. We see the birth of Jesus. We see Jesus baptized. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then here in verse 1, it says, then Jesus left the, the Jordan, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days to be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. I'm telling you right now, if I do a 40-day fast, I ain't waiting until it's over to get hungry. I'll probably be hungry by lunchtime on day one. Then the devil said to him, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Look at that. He's what? Questioning. Challenging. If you are the son of God, that word, if he's not doubting that God is, he's not doubting that Jesus is the son of God. That word, if can actually be translated since, since you are the son of God is what comes after that and cause this, cause these rocks to become bread. The enemy now wants you to prove to him what you already are. What he wants to do is he wants to deteriorate your confidence in God's word. He wants to, to break down the value of God's word in your life. How do I know that? Because in Luke chapter 3, uh, the previous chapter in verse 21, it says this. When all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove and a voice came from heaven. What's a voice do? A voice speaks. A voice declares. A voice says something. So that means a word from heaven or a word from God comes. And what is that word of God? You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Look at that. We're talking a few verses later, the devil shows up to challenge the last thing God said. That's typically how he operates. The last thing God said becomes the next thing the devil challenges and opposes in your life. That quick. I mean, from the end of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4, that quick we see, oh, he said he's the son of God? Let's see about that. Right there. He just declared him to be a son of God, and now he's asking if you're the son of God, since you're the son of God, perform this, prove this, show it to me. He even goes as far uh, in, 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 in through these three temptations that we see, as I said earlier, to quote scripture. To, doesn't the word say that, that, if you, that if you fall off a ledge or fall off a rock, that, that uh, the, the, angel, the Lord will give angels charge over you to, to, to carry you and to keep? I mean, he's bringing up the word of God to the Word of God, right? Jesus is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. I mean, that's some audacity, right? That's some boldness right there. To challenge the Word of God to the living, walking, breathing Word of God. 
And I heard someone say this the other day. It woke me up. He said, I believe God wants his word to become alive again. God wants his word to become flesh again. What's that mean? That you and I live out the word of God. That it's not just pages in a book. It's not just historical facts. It's not just something that took place one time, but it literally becomes the lifeblood. Jesus's response to uh, the devil in this instance is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. You understand you are alive because of the word of God. Your car runs because it has gas and a believer lives because it has the word. It ought to be the very fuel that keeps you going. It ought to be the very nutrients. It ought to be what you depend upon. It ought to be what breathes life into you. But the enemy wants you to seek alternatives. The enemy wants you to question it. The enemy wants you to challenge it. The enemy wants you to be as disengaged and disconnected from the word as possible. In John chapter 15, Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, uh, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Look at this. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he cuts off, he removes. And then he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You can either be cut on or you can be cut off. You can either allow the word to trim away and tweak and align and redirect and, and, and create new values, or you'll eventually just be removed altogether. This is what the Lord showed me. He said this, if you won't be set apart, you'll eventually be set aside. If you won't allow him to set you apart for his purpose, you'll eventually get set aside, not even to be used good for nothing, ineffective and unproductive. This distinction's the real deal. This being set apart is why you and I exist. We talked about it last week. How can I influence a world I blend in with? I've conformed to, I've bought into. How can I create them? How can I get them to buy into God's kingdom values if I'm still continuing to tolerate and accept their inferior values? At the end of the day, one's going to lose out to the other. At the end of the day, one's going to have to give way to the other. I can't have both ways. The church that's trying to keep one foot in and one foot out, it's going away, guys. You can't play that game much longer. The world is creating. I mean, I'm not even saying God's creating it. The world is creating an environment where you're going to have to choose to either stand up on the non-negotiables of the word of God or deteriorate your own values to compromise and to become accepting and to become tolerated by the world. At some point, one's going to give to the other. This is what he says in verse 3. You are already clean. That means to be set apart because of the word I have spoken to you. That's why I said the number one way the church can be distinct in these last days is owning and honoring and valuing God's word. And it's going to create a distinction. Maybe not by intention, but by byproduct, you will look set apart. You will stand out. There are the, the, the believers that own the word, know the word, and stand on the word are going to be set apart from those that don't. It's just the way it's going to be. He says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken. Now, this is what he says. Remain in me and I in you. 
So the word can clean me up. The word can show me a new way. The word can raise the standard. But now it's my job, my responsibility to remain in. The New King James reads, abide in me and I in you. The difference, the, the opposite of abiding is frequenting, visiting. I mean, if I ask you today, you know, where do you abide? Where do you live? Where do you remain? Where do you stay? You're going to tell me your address. You don't visit your address. You live there. Hello. The word of God ought to be our address. The word of God ought to be where we remain. The word of God ought to be where we abide. And this is the thing. What I remain in, I ultimately become a reflection of. If I will remain in the word, then I will ultimately start reflecting the word. Now, this is a principle that the word of God um, is, it, 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 it can be changed in the sense that if I remain in CNN, if I remain in Fox News, come on, if I remain in the day-to-day, if I remain in what the doctor said, if I remain in what the banker says, if I remain in what it's looking like, if I remain in what the gas prices are, come on now, if I remain in those things, guess what? You'll ultimately become a reflection of that. And some of y'all are just showing us what you're remaining in. Some of us are showing you where you live. I don't even have to ask. You live there. The news plays more than the word. Come on. Facebook gets more time than the Bible. I don't care if I sound old school or traditional. A Christian that does not have a value in honoring for the word of God will eventually become depleted and you'll, you'll eventually become a no-show player or participant in the movement of God that's coming in these last days. You're going to be stuck on the bench and maybe even eventually in the stands watching it all play out because you are going to become a non-participant because there's no word in you to feed the world and to keep yourself uh, uh, from the things of the world. That's just the honest truth. The, 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 the verse of the day mentality and just getting in my, my quiet time and, and having this little devotion here. And the, no, you got to get the word in you. Abide in me. And then he says, and I in you. And I'll tell you right now, the best way to get the word in you is to get in the word. If you'll get in the word, the word will get in you. I love when I get around people, man, and, and word just comes out. It's just word. It's just scripture. It's just what is what does God say? I don't want, I don't care what the world says. Honestly, I don't even care what you say, and you shouldn't care what I say. My opinion shouldn't mean anything to you. You should be asking me, "Hey, what does God say about this? What does God say about that? What does the scripture say on this matter?" But nobody cares about that anymore. We just want everybody's opinions. And you're only looking for the opinion that you agree with. And then we do the same thing to the scripture. Where's the scriptures that I believe? Where's the scriptures I can accept? Where's the scriptures that I are already like what I think? Is God trying to agree with me or am I trying to agree with him? Hello? Remain in me and I in you. I, I told someone this the other day. I said, I, I'll be honest. You know, I love church. I value church. I, I, I've been in church all my life. I passed through a church. But at the end of the day, guys, I'm not just looking for people I can go to church with. I'm looking for people I can go to war with. I'm looking for people I can go to battle with. I'm looking for the ones that can stand on my left. They got my six. They got my back. They got my front. And I know we about to break through this door. And you got me. I got you. Let's go. I ain't playing church, I ain't playing games, I ain't just seeing, you know, who's going to just be the best person they possibly can. Who's going to get in this thing and say, man, we're at battle right now. We're at war. We just sent off students that are at battle every single day of their lives, going in their high schools, going in their communities. They're hearing words you don't want them to hear. They're seeing things you don't want them to see. They're learning things you don't want them to learn. And you better get the word of God up in these students and in your home. And in your life, the devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we're going to chalk that up to 
opening my Bible and getting the dust off one day a week. That's not going to work, guys. When he knows the word better than you and I do, that's not going to work. That won't work. Somebody sent me a quote the other day. He said, the devil, the devil hated the church so much that he went to church and decided to infiltrate you and I from the inside. From the inside. We've, we've got to have our guard up, guys. We do that by remaining in the word, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself. Unless it remain on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. He says, guys, if you'll remain, if you'll abide, if you'll take care of the practice of just being devoted to God's word, I'll take care of the rest. I'll produce the fruit in your life. But this is what I know. When devotion is low, Deception is high. When devotion is low, I become easy pickings, as they say around here, for the devil. Vulnerable, susceptible to his devices, to his deceptions, to the twisting and the distorting. And there are so many values that I see Christians today buying into the twisted nature. I, I tell you, I mean, it's like almost every single time I, 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 I pull this up or I pull that up, I, I'm hearing someone, they're, they're giving truth and it sounds good as a whole, but it just on the inside it just doesn't sit right. It doesn't, ah, no, that's not what it says. You know, it's an interesting thought to me that God would leave his word, his unfailing, unchanging, completely reliable, dependable word in the hands of you and I who can mess it up with our interpretations and with our experiences, but yet he still expects us to live according to his principles and his standards as if we knew them perfectly. Why can he do that? Because of the Holy Spirit. That's why. That's why, because of the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He'll remind you of things that I've said, and he'll show you things to come. I mean, he is the reason why you and I can follow and honor God's word perfectly, regardless of what we've been through, regardless of what we've heard, regardless of how it's been distorted, regardless of how it's been perverted and twisted. We can still honor God. You, you realize we're going to stand, stand before him one day and give an account of how we have honored and led a life according to his word. How can he hold us that accountable? I, I mean, how, couldn't we stand before Jesus and say, but, 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 but there's 82 interpretations of your word. There's 360,000 denominations. How am I supposed to know? And he's going to look at you and say, I gave you my spirit. I gave you my spirit. Did you remain in? Did you abide in? I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't believe that God intended for his word to be interpreted so many different ways. I, I just believe that there's one way to read it. I just believe there's one way to see this. And if I'm wrong, if I'm seeing it wrong, I want the Holy Spirit to correct me I want to get back in alignment. I don't want to be misinterpreting or misreading something. And a lot of that is on us pastors, if I could just be honest with you. We're the ones that hold the weight and the responsibility and the pressure even of articulating and preaching God's word with the reliability and with the fervor and the tenacity and the authenticity that it deserves and that it demands. But at the end of the day, each one of us, each believer, we have a responsibility to honor and live up to this word. Remain in. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he throws, uh, is thrown aside like a 
branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We read this last week, but just reiterating, Jesus again is praying to the Father. This is just before he's arrested. Verse 13, but now I am returning to you. So, Father, I pray that they will experience and enter into my joyous delight in you so that it is fulfilled in them and overflows. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I have given them your message, and that is why the unbelieving world hates them. For their allegiance is no longer to this world. What's one of the keys of being set apart, being distinct, being separated? It's what you, where your allegiance lies, what you value more. And when you learn to value, or when you learn to value the things of the kingdom over the things of this world, even the things of this country, you'll find yourself distinct very quickly. You'll find yourself set apart. Their allegiance is no longer to this world because I am not of this world. I am not asking you that you remove them from the world. We said this last week, that if being distinct and separated and set apart meant being separated geographically, then that would have been the answer right there. I'll get them saved, you get them to heaven. But apparently that wasn't the goal. Because he literally prays, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. And I don't know about you, but I think God answers Jesus' prayers. If he prayed, do not take them out of the world, we probably aren't getting taken out of this world. Why? Because our mission, our job, our assignment's here in this world. I'm not asking you to remove them from the world. I ask that you guard their hearts. Where? Internally. From the evil one. For they no longer belong to this world any more than I do. Now watch this in verse 17. Your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. Right there, he says, how are you going to be holy, sanctified, set apart? The New King James actually reads, sanctify them by your word. Sanctify them by your truth. How? By the word of God. The word of God is meant to cleanse you, meant to purify you, meant to set you apart. The word of God is not meant uh, so you can use it to throw a catchy little Christian term on something and continue to remain in what you remain. It's designed to set you apart. It's designed to make you distinct. It's designed to create a new standard within your life. I have commissioned them to represent me just as you commissioned me to represent you. And now I dedicate myself to them as a holy sacrifice so that they will live a fully dedicated, uh, as fully dedicated to God and be made holy. Here it is, by your truth. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. His word is supposed to be setting us apart, not helping us blend in. His word is supposed to be making us distinguishable from what's around us. I want to give you three ways that the word divides. Three ways that the word will create a distinction in your life. Number one, Righteousness versus unrighteousness. These aren't terms that we hear a whole lot in church anymore. These elements aren't talked about. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But God still values righteousness. And his word is still a word of righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11 says this, we have a great, day, a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. And the writer of Hebrews ain't holding back, is he? He's pulling out the punches. 
You ain't getting it because you're too lazy to hear what I have to say. That's on you. That's on us. I think the church has gotten lazy with the word and the word of righteousness in particular. Just gotten lazy with it. The thing I love about that is laziness can be corrected. Laziness isn't a function of the body. It's a function of the heart. Your body can do it and wants to do it. So it's just a heart correction that says, I'm not going to be lazy with that. You know, when I coach my, my son's baseball teams, that's one thing I don't tolerate. On my ball field, you don't walk. You, there's no walking. When you're between the white lines, there is no, you are running to your spot and you're running off. I, I hate laziness because if they're going to be lazy on a ball field, they're going to be lazy at work. They're going to be lazy at school. They're going to be lazy cleaning up their room. It, it's, it's a function of the heart. Nobody teaches you to be lazy. There's no job skill out there that's good, that, that laziness shows up on the resume. It's like, you are the one we want. That ain't going to work. Go ahead, put it on your resume. I am lazy. You will have to tell me four times. Pass. No, thank you. So he's letting us know, yeah, you're not getting it, but, but you, you just, the, the New King James says you become dull of your hearing, dull in your senses. But we can correct that. You become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation. Again, you need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness unskilled in the word of righteousness because he is an infant. Watch this. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. That's righteousness, distinguishing between what's wrong and what's right. And notice that he says you need your senses to tell you. Now, I know that we love to, to exalt the encounters with God, the glorious moments, right? Uh, maybe it's a vision. Maybe God's telling you something or showing you something, uh, and he's having to bring a word. But I can tell you right now, the greatest level of maturity you can attain to is that you have trained your senses on the inside. I would almost say if you need external factors to obey God, that's more of a sign of immaturity than maturity. That'd be like if my son knows every Sunday it's trash day and we need to take out the trash. He knows on the inside, but every time he disregards the internal notification, then I have to introduce an external motivation. Y'all with me? We taking out the trash today or what? We skipping that? I can be sarcastic and smart with it. So we, we just ain't doing trash anymore. We just, we're just going to let it pile up in here. That's cool. Okay, all right. Oh, did you get a special phone call from the trash people? They ain't coming tomorrow? What, what, you get a notification I didn't get? Yeah. External. Come on. I love the, my, you know, the best response ever as a dad. Oh, I was just about to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet you were. Yes, you were. The surprise look on your face as I came in, it tells me everything I need to know right now. Yep, you were just about to do that. Had it on your to-do list. Good job. <laughs> yeah. No, we need a word that we respond to internally. I thank God for the encounters. I thank God for those moments. But if he's prompting me on the inside by the Spirit, and I'm overriding that, that, that now he has to bring in a pastor or a prophetic word or, or somebody sharing something with me or, or, or you know, visions, beaming of light, uh, angels showing up, whatever. At the end of the day, I've got to learn how to listen to the voice of God on the inside of me. That's the greatest way to hear from God, a still, small voice, a knowing on the inside. Amen. Well, guess what? If I'm not remaining in the Word, I'm going to have a hard time hearing the Holy Spirit. 
I have a hard time responding to the Holy Spirit if I'm not remaining and abiding in this word. And he's showing us this way of righteousness. The, the world is trying to redefine what's right and what's wrong, right? We, the, the Bible tells us that we'll enter a day, we see it now, where they will call good bad and they will call bad good. They will call up, down, and down, up. We're seeing it. The stuff is so backwards. And we always end up asking the question, how did we get here? I can tell you how we get here. They drop in seeds all along the way. And they're getting you to accept this. And if you'll accept this, then you'll accept that. And if you'll accept this, I mean, most of the time I'm asking the question, if we open that door, how many other doors behind it do we have to keep opening? Right? Because if I'm going to open that door, I've got to open that one. If I'm going to let that slide, then I've got to let that. If I'm going to tolerate that, then I've got to tolerate this. And now you're finding yourself having to go back and slam so many doors that it's like, ah, deal with it. Because what becomes tolerated one day becomes normal the next. We're celebrating t- things today that 15 years ago we wouldn't have even tolerate. Okay, I'm not going to get on that again. I could do that every week. The Word of God should give us a more distinct line between what pleases Him and what doesn't. The misuse of mercy and grace it causes us to live a life that goes directly against the outlining of his word. And we do it all under the name of Jesus. Under the name of, there's things being accepted in churches today. It's one thing if it's accepted in the world, but accepted in churches, tolerated in churches. There's no holiness attached to it. It's not pleasing God whatsoever. Number two, the second way the word divides is between faith and doubt. Between faith and doubt. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and the New King James reads this way, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come? Hearing the word of God. That builds my faith. That strengthens my faith. And when I'm not remaining in the word, I become susceptible to doubt and unbelief. That questioning and that challenging that we talked about earlier. And we have an epidemic in the church today of doubt. In fact, people have, uh, doubt is almost the automatic response now. I have to convince you over and over and over what God's word says is true. We have to be convinced. You've got to show me proof. I need an explanation. I've got to understand. And we've completely lost sight of what it means to live by faith, to believe in what I cannot see, to believe in what has not yet happened, to believe in something that goes completely against what I'm actually experiencing. We cannot be the church in the last days if we are just automatically inclined to doubt Every little thing we hear. I mean, if you go home this afternoon and the meteorologists, as much as they miss the weather and get it wrong, if they say a hurricane's coming, it's coming through the Gulf, I mean, you're buying up every jug of water Sam's has. You're getting all the toilet. I know what you're doing because I get there an hour late and it's already all gone. You've already sucked it all up. I mean, you're boarding the house up. Storm's coming, but then I get up here and you got sickness in your body. By his stripes, you were, you know, I don't know about that, Pastor. The doctor said that this is incurable. There ain't nothing they can do about it. Well, if it's will, if it's his will. Are you kidding me right now? Why am I having to bang, 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 knock this door down of doubt and unbelief? It's because we've created a questioning response to the Word of God, a challenging response and a challenging nature to the Word of God. It all started with, did God really say, by his stripes you were healed? Did God really say? 
that you're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Did God really say? It's a challenging and it's a questioning, and it breeds deception that we believe lies over truth. If we don't remain in the word, that's another losing battle. But the faith people, the, and, and I'm going to tell you right now, we, we're going to call them faith giants, but they're really not. They're just doing what they have said and believed and what God has said all along. I've been asked that I don't know how many times over the last two years about our church. When a lot of churches are in decline, a lot of churches are, are losing people, a lot of churches are having trouble. You know, what are y'all doing? I ain't doing nothing different. I'm doing exactly what I did for the first eight years that this church was here. And now I'm just seeing the results of that. I haven't changed course. I haven't altered course. I haven't done nothing different. Nothing's different. Those of y'all just that started coming, this is what we've been doing for eight years. We've been preaching the uncompromised truth of the word of God. We refuse to water it down. We refuse to bend. We refuse to break. We, we stood with the word of God. We preached it all along. You can go back and listen to my messages. They're out there. I didn't all of a sudden get some great revelation. We've been doing this for almost 11 years, just plowing the ground, staying, because faith always yields in profits in a believer's life every time. It works every time. Faith works. It pays to believe God when no one else will believe. It pays to believe God when the report says it can't happen. It pays to believe God at his word. Just living like God's word is true. It creates a distinction between righteousness and unrighteousness. It creates a distinction between faith and unbelief. Thirdly, the word will divide between soul and spirit. Soul and spirit. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm afraid today that much of our preaching is directed and geared toward helping you in your soul, but not your spirit. I actually was watching a video the other day of, I think he was a worship leader, and he made this statement. I'm afraid our worship leaders are no more than pop artists and our pastors are really no more than life coaches. It's interesting. That doesn't sound distinct to me. That doesn't sound set apart. Ministering to the soul and ministering to the spirit, they can sound the same to a degree, but they offer and provide much different results. They do. And if we minister to the soul alone, we will produce nothing more than feel-good messages. Feel-good messages. And many Christians have become content with uh, they become content with being satisfied in the soul while they're being starved in their spirit. Now, we got to minister to the soul. We're going to minister to the soul, the spirit, soul, and body. You're a three-part being. But there are times where a soul message is not what you need. You don't need sympathy in your soul. You need strengthening in your spirit. And I'm going to tell you right now, a spirit message will always sound harsher than a soul message. Because when I'm speaking to your spirit, I'm speaking to the spirit man inside of you that has already obtained. He's already gotten there. He's, he's, he, it, your spirit man is a finished work. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things are gone. Behold, all things are made new. The old is gone, and the new 
has come. That's a finished work. You know, you've heard us say it before, that your spirit is saved. Your flesh, your body cannot be saved. That's why you have to kill it. You have to crucify it. You have to die to the flesh. Never pass up a good opportunity to die. I'm just, I'm saying. Paul said, I die daily. He said, this is a lifestyle for me. Get back up there. All right, crucify it back, okay? Hang, you know, hang it up there. We're crucifying the flesh. It has to die. It's not ever going to agree with what the word says. Kill it. But now the soul is being saved. And I'm, I'm I, you know, there's, there's pastors that, that, that are in the pulpit that I've had to stop watching. I've had to stop lending myself to. They know more jokes than they do the word. I heard a pastor say the other day, we've turned our pastors into comedians, stand-up comics. They want to they make you feel good because they want you to come back next week. They want you to, 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 to have a sense of, I'm overcoming, God's got this, I'm in victory, and they won't address re the reasons why we're stuck where we are. They won't address the things that are keeping us held back. They won't address the, the tendencies and the toxicity and the brokenness that really needs to be addressed, and we're just constantly feeding, you know, it, God's got you, you're going to make it. I, I mean, th there is a, just massive overtones. The, 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 the pipeline is flowing with those kinds of messages and they're necessary but there's no spiritual rise up become who you are you are the righteousness put that thing down stop viewing that get away from this get out from there we're not challenging the spirit within a man or a woman there's a spirit being inside you that wants everything the word of God has there's a flesh that wants nothing that the word of God has. And the battlefield is the soul. The battlefield is the mind, the will, and their emotions. Where will you lend your thinking? Where will you lend your passions? Where will you lend your, 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 your uh, behaviors and your tendencies? Where will you lend them? To the flesh or to the spirit? Whoever wins the battlefield of the mind wins the life, directs the life, leads the life. Worship team, if you come. We cannot become content with merely satisfying the crowd, satisfying the soul, appeasing the crowd at the expense of challenging the spirit. You know that you know this. You don't want people in your life that just tell you what you want to hear. As much as it may, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't like that. You know what you really need in life is, dude, stop doing that. The wages of sin is, it, it has never paid out differently. Nobody on this planet has ever gotten a different wage. Nobody on this planet has ever gotten a different return, yielded a different profit. It's been death every time. Sin in and of itself in the, in the moment says it's pleasurable. That's why it's deceptive. Because it feels good. It feels like that's the right thing. But in the end, now we got to be word people. You gotta be word people that are willing to be distinct, willing to be set apart. Righteousness from unrighteousness. I'm gonna be a person of faith, not a person of doubt and unbelief. That's not gonna be my first inclination. Ah, did he really say that? Did he really, is that what it really means? And some people want an, expl an explanation before they get a miracle. Miracles don't come from explanations. Miracles don't come from understanding. Oh, I get it. Okay, I'm healed. Obeying God is a result of saying yes before the command, not after. 
You ever had someone come to you, can you, can you help me with something? Tell me what it is first. <laughs> Depends. Are you free on Saturday? Our calendar can fill up really quick depending on what you're about to say right now. No? God says, I get a yes before I give the command. You do it before you understand it. In this soul versus spirit matter, I'm telling you, it might make you feel good, but you might not be getting any better. You might not be getting the word of truth. And truth sets us what? Free. Truth sets us free. It doesn't say Jesus dying on the cross sets us free. It doesn't say him rising again sets us free. It says truth sets us free. I can be a Christian and still be bound. I need truth. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.